electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Shoppers shopping less at Target. The sales weakness at the retail giant, CNBC's Courtney Reagan reports. It's just again seemingly caught in the middle of these culture wars in a way that did seem to impact sales. And a new COVID variant is here. But former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb says it could peter out by the fall. We're probably going to see a new variant emerge by the time we get into the late fall and the winter. So this particular strain isn't that worrisome in terms of its pathogenicity relative to what we've seen before. Plus, new tales in the SBF FTX soap opera. Wheels up stock might finally take off. Kava satisfying investors. And a rebranded offering from Twitter. We mean X. What's it called when you send out some? You X? I think so. X it out. I I don't know. I heard you Zeet or exit. It is Wednesday, August 16th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Andrew by in three, two, one. Cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Cronin and Melissa Lee, who's back in action. This is how many you've 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 been doing your 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 time or your work, I should say. My time. Your time. Your time (laughs) or your work. That's how I think of it. Depending on how you think about it. Becky is off today. Declines for the major indices in yesterday's session. Dow, S&P and Nasdaq each closed lower by one percent. The S&P 500 closing below its 50 day moving average for the first time since March 28th. And you can also take a look at Treasury yields. See where they're standing right now. The 10-year note at 4.182 and the two-year at 4.908, so just hovering below 5%. The 10-year in yesterday's session hit 4.264 at its highs, Mm -hmm. which is really something helping those declines. And we're watching shares of Cava this morning. They are sharply higher. The Mediterranean restaurant chain reporting earnings per share of 21 cents in its first report since going public, swinging to profitability from a net loss in the year-ago quarter. Revenue of $173 million, beat estimates of $163 million. Same-store sales rose 18.2%. The CFO attributing some of the strong traffic to increased brand awareness after the company's IPO. But she said that store traffic has moderated in recent weeks and more diners are shifting from delivery orders to pick up. Kava's menu prices are up 8% from a year ago, and the company said it has no plans to raise prices further. Uh, wheels up, private jet membership company, which is all over the place. I mean, you saw it on the winning jo- triple crown jockey's pants. It, they, a lot of marketing, expert at marketing. Uh, but Wheels Up Experience has reached a deal uh, to receive a $500 million rescue financing package from a group of investors, including Delta Airlines, which has had an alliance with, uh, with Wheels Up. The new financing provides a path for the company to avoid bankruptcy, and in, in exchange, a consortium of investors will receive a 95% stake in the company, and Delta's CFO will join the board as chairman. Uh, and Wheels Up went public as a SPAC in 2021, uh, and at one point, uh, it, it traded sharply higher. Uh, it now trades below $2 with a market cap 
uh, below $40 million. And Kenny D. Kenny D. That's been a while. Kenny Dicker, Kenny, who we've Kenny, known for a very long time. Yep. Unfortunately, uh, it's a great, it, not, it's, not, not the CEO of the company anywhere. No. He was the one who had a lot of the early relationships that really developed what turned out to be Wheels Up. Having said that, the business model of Wheels Up was always too expensive, uh, too expensive in terms of the capital that they had put into right. buying planes and the like. Hard and also to fly private. It's, selling, it's just really, really. Selling these things. But this is good news because the truth is, I think a week or two ago, if you looked at A, where it the stock was, and B, what people were talking about, was they were talking about B as in bankruptcy. And right. so this should uh, save that off. New court filings shedding some light on federal prosecutor's case against Sam Bankman-Fried. They say Bankman-Fried's ex-girlfriend, Caroline Ellison, blamed him for using FTX's customer deposits in a recording from a company meeting that was made days before FTX imploded. At the time, Ellison was running hedge fund Alameda Research, but prosecutors plan to use the recording of that meeting to show that Bankman-Fried held decision-making power at the fund. Now, prosecutors will also introduce a memo that Ellison wrote titled Things Sam is Freaking Out About that tracks bad press around Alameda and FTX. Prosecutors say it contains Ellison's reflections on the alleged scheme between FTX and Alameda. Uh, Ellison pleaded guilty to charges of wire fraud and money laundering last December. And prosecutors say she will be a key witness in Bankman-Fried's case. Now, to me, by the way, one thing that's so fascinating about what's happening now is, you know, he was put in, in jail last week for speaking out publicly or for... In New York. He was brought right, back here, right. Um, or for leaking information about Caroline Ellison that they said undermined Caroline Ellison, right? That, that was, or, or it, they put it in this sort of witness tampering, uh, intimidation kind of thing. And now the prosecutors are putting out news about what they plan to do around Caroline Ellison in another way. It's just, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating right. thing. What's legit, um, what's not. In terms of how this all is supposed to work right. or not. Uh, it's very true, by the way. Gag orders are real things in cases you don't have. And I, I think I misspoke, by the way, the other day where I said, you have free, you know, everybody has freedom of speech. If you are in prison, you actually don't have freedom of speech. Uh, and ahead of a trial, you don't either. So it's a very interesting sort of thing about who's, in prison, who can speak. not having freedom of speech is the least of your problems. News about X, company formerly known as Twitter. Is that how we're going to do this? It's going to be like, you know, that sign formerly known as Prince? Don't I mean, I just... a little bit, right? Don't you Is think? that what's going to... I don't Because if you just say X, you're like, X what? Yeah, X what? But is it always going to be that way? No. It's like, but is it going to be like Google Alphabet? I still say Google sometimes. Do you know what, what do you still tweet? No, you I ask. still go to Twitter.com, no, do you, by but, the way. But do you still tweet? What's it called you when X. you send out something? You X? I think so. X it out. I, I don't you, know. I heard you Zeet or Xeet. Really? Who'd you hear that from? You would know, Joe. Salt, no, Salt Last Night on someone who has a segment uh -huh. where people send in stuff, uh, like a broadcaster has a segment where people send in and doesn't know what, it's called a tweet something or other, and now what do you call it? How do you brand it? Brett Bear, I was watching him. Am I allowed um, to admit that I watch? Uh, why don't you X or exit Elon? Uh, tweet to him? Yes. And ask him. And tell, Formerly known as a tweet, send him a message on his platform, known as X now. Do you think ask. he would ask? He, 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 might. he has 80 million followers. Meantime, a lot of things. Uh, the company's uh, popular TweetDeck service, can't really be TweetDeck anymore, oh, right. which offered users <laughs> customizable <laughs> ways to view multiple Twitter feeds. 
has moved behind a paywall. Uh, the company has rebranded it X-Pro. When users attempt to access that service, they're now informed they must purchase a, excuse me, a subscription to that paid service, which is called Blue. So, what do you think? Were you a, I used to use TweetDeck a lot, actually. No. And I stopped using it. But not because of um, anything. No, no, no. This was probably two or three years ago. When I left for two weeks, I made a put on my calendar, can tweet again on August 14th, and I, I kind of slipped, but only once or twice. I saw photos Yeah, I saw you. a picture from I had to vacation. do that. Why? Because I met the British Open champion. Uh, he was down there, and we were talking, and I... But did you I ever think him. that you might just hold a photo until that August 14th date, which you were allowed oh. to can tweet? Can I ask a separate question? Was it that you can't tweet till a certain date, or you can't consume Twitter? Oh, no, I can consume... Oh. I just can't flame mail someone who says I'm wearing a toupee. Right. I can't respond. So did to, you come back? I can't respond to someone with three followers. Did you come do, back extra angry because it's all bottled up no, inside? No, I felt better. I, I actually felt better. I, I realized how it really doesn't matter what, what's, what's going on. It's, it's bad it's energy. Small, it's like it, they could say whatever they want about you. You know the truth about yourself. And that's the truth. There you go, with. Melissa. That, that's like... You don't... Uh, that's I don't a, care what that, anybody says. That, this is now a TikTok segment. If it's segment. racist or sexist, I will block you without any well, question. See, Otherwise, I don't care what you say about me. I just, I, I see, if it's anti-Baldite is when I, uh, <laughs> that, was, that was from Seinfeld. Anti, you know, do you remember that? No. He went to George, Georgie. <laughs> yes. He even said there are anti-Baldites, people that don't yeah. like, like, but I'm not bald. No, I, you're opposite of bald. I'm the opposite of bald. Maybe that's why they keep thinking, I have so much hair that they it's can't so believe it. Good, it's so good looking, like, it can't possibly be natural. So much that they just can't believe it. They can't, well, they're jealous. Cheese will be next. Follow us on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. If you have three followers and want to yell at Joe Kernan, he is at Joe Squawk. You can follow Andrew R. Sorkin and Melissa Lee, CNBC, as well. Now, up next... Target's comparable sales down 5.4%. Off target. Including inflation, negative guest reaction to our pride collection. Digital sales down 10.5%. The big box retailer's latest financial results. CNBC's Courtney Reagan and analyst Sucharita Kadali weigh in on target. There are big differences that they have not been able to capture since the end of the pandemic. Squawk Pod will be right back. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm producer Katie Kramer. 
Target, the popular big box retailer, saw enormous sales gains during the COVID-19 pandemic as an essential retailer that remained open through all the 2020 shutdowns and provided countless products that worried consumers needed, Target saw a big boost. But the company has struggled in the past year. Excess inventory, higher level of markdowns hit profits in 2022, and another shift in consumer behavior took a toll. Record high inflation forced shoppers to focus on needs rather than wants. Being worried about the cost of food may make you less willing to impulse buy a new t-shirt or home accessories. All the fun stuff that makes Target Target. These struggles at Target have dragged down the stock. The price has fallen by nearly 20 percent in 2023. And Target weathered considerable backlash in May of this year over its collection of merchandise celebrating Pride Month. The store pulled some items from shelves after threats to employees. And another headline from the company's first quarter results, also in May, the impact of retail theft, known as shrink. CEO Brian Cornell said that organized retail crime, stealing items right from the store shelves, would cost Target $500 million more in lost merchandise this year. Target reported second quarter results during our TV broadcast this morning, and here's what that sounded like. Target earnings just crossing the tape. Courtney Reagan is here with the numbers. Court. Yeah, Melissa, so let's get through this. There's a lot here. Target second quarter earnings coming in at $1.80 per share. That's 41 cents above consensus, but the profit was not driven by sales. Revenue at $24.77 billion, below $25.16 billion estimated. Also slashing full year earnings guidance. This even after this quarter's huge beat. So it's now expecting between $7 and $8. That's down from $7.75 to $8.75. It's also bringing down its sales expectations to mid-single-digit declines rather than low-single-digit decline to low-single-digit increase. Target's comparable sales down 5.4%. That is well below estimates for a 3.7% drop, also the first decrease since 2016. The retailer says discretionary categories again weak, while food, beverage, essentials, beauty, those frequency categories, those were stronger. Digital sales down 10.5%. That's the third straight quarter of declines and the worst performance since Target has been giving this number. Inventory fell 17% and lower markdowns did help to lift gross margins. Operating margins also better than expected. But at 4.8%, that's about half of the level where it was two years ago at 9.8%. On a call with media, Target CEO Brian Cornell pointed to macro pressures, including inflation, for tempering sales, but also, quote, negative guest reaction to our pride collection. He also continued to say negative reaction to our pride assortment and added after adjusting mid-quarter to address safety concerns, the business recovered steadily in July. I asked Cornell to clarify that the response by some consumers to the pride merchandise was material enough that it impacted sales, but then after Target removed some of the merchandise or moved it in some stores, the trends changed. He said, quote, you describe it very accurately. We only took actions in the month of June. We wanted to make sure we're focused on the safety of our teams and the safety of our guests. Once we took those actions and addressed the situation, we certainly saw things normalize. Now, the last time Target's comp sales were negative, as I mentioned, was six years ago, and that does correspond to the four quarters that followed the retailer's stance, allowing guests to use whatever bathroom they choose for their gender identity. Though Target did say at the time that any lost sales from those boycotts weren't material enough to report. This time, though, they're calling it out, just not quantifying it. It's just, again, seemingly caught in the middle of these culture wars in a way 
that did seem to impact sales. In the, in the, the crime, the gangs? So, the right, so we talked about, we asked about the shrinkage. In the, in the release, there's only three words basically addressing that directly, and they said it was as forecast. So when they gave it to us last quarter, they said it was just, it was on plan from where it was, but that it has doubled in general, the loss from shrink since 2019. So that is still on par from where it was, but it hasn't changed. It's, it's not a non-material number. Right, right. And Target is, is the only retailer that in my, in my history of covering retail in 12 years that has ever quantified shrink when they gave us that number. Yeah. La in two, they gave it to us two times in November and then again last quarter. But there's a lot in this report. I mean, it's down 20% in, in, in three the months. past three months. Exactly. <laughs> right. In stark contrast to Walmart, Walmart. which is up 5% in three the, months. The comparison chart is like mind-boggling. It really is. It, it really is. And we often put and these it, two it, together. It, but the big market cap. I mean, it's, we're talking about billions of dollars. I mean, billions it, of dollars yeah. to see that spread differ. Yeah. All right. Um, Courtney, stick around. Let's bring in Sucharita Kodali, Forrester Research Retail Analyst. Uh, Sucharita, what's your take initially on this? Because the stock is up sharply, even though they took down their full year guidance. Yeah, it, I'm more concerned about the top line revenue numbers and the digital numbers because those are numbers that typically we'd expect to see much higher. Um, they don't seem to be in line even with Walmart. So it is a little bit puzzling what's happening. I do think that inflation um, is part of the story. That's exactly what the CEO had referenced. The categories that seem to be most affected um, are electronics as well as some of, well, hard goods, which is which is that electronics category, um, apparel and then other um, non-consumable items as well in the home sector. And home naturally um, is down overall. And any accessories that would um, benefit the category otherwise are going to be are going to be um, soft. And that's that certainly seems to be what's playing out. Um, Target's heavily weighted in those categories, um, less so than Walmart, more so I say than Walmart. So that's that seems to be problematic. And, and that accounts in part for the difference in performance in Walmart and Target, but does that account fully? I mean, is there um, a, a valid trade-off in terms of valuation with Target trading at about 16 times forward and Walmart trading much higher than that? Um, is it worth the premium for Walmart, given the mix, given that it's you know, not beleaguered by these um, pride boycotts? Right. And the whole concept of, you know, kind of the the depression in um, in its numbers due to some of these culture war issues seems a little exaggerated to me. We've seen um, the we've seen the, the these things play out before um, with companies like Nike and others. They're not really um, long. They don't have a long term impact. They don't really have a deep impact in general when we've observed them in the past. So I feel like it's a little bit of um, pointing the finger at that when, in fact, it's probably not that big of a material impact. The bigger question um, is more about Target's strategy. I mean, Walmart certainly is, of course, um, more diversified globally. I mean, they even have um, business in, um, in, in, in China, which, which is actually growing. So, um, so there are things that are, that are different about Walmart's business. They also are more focused on technology. Um, they, are, they have a much stronger ad business. I mean, their ad business is in fact, larger than companies like Snapchat now. So, um, so there are things that are are different. Target's um, certainly trying to grow that part of their business, but it seems like there are um, there are big differences that 
um, that they have not been able to capture since the end of the pandemic. Um, essentially, they've lost all of the gains that they gained during the pandemic as far as the valuation of the company is. And um, and I think that a lot of it just has to do with product assortment and um, their inability to charge premiums and um, for consumers to choose to purchase in other categories and with other retailers. Sutrida, obviously, we're going to hear from Walmart tomorrow, so we'll get more details. But, you know, to your point, and it's the point that I often make, Walmart obviously over-indexes in grocery and food and consumables. 56% of their sales is there. It's a repeat business. They've told us that they have a higher income shopper that is starting to go there. Does it also speak to perhaps more of the consumer pressures that are being masked in other areas? Meaning Walmart obviously seems to be an outperformer when times are tough economically. Is it maybe more exaggerated than we're giving credit when we're seeing such a divergence between Walmart and Target? It, it, it feels like it has to be more than just food. Yeah, it's it is it's so it is puzzling because they all of the economic indicators about consumer spend are otherwise pretty strong, right? Um, the shopper still seems to be spending. All of our aggregate retail data is that um, the shopper is still spending more. Why is Target not seemingly capturing more of that, especially as the affluent consumer is doing well? And my hunch is, in looking um, at the data that we see, is that that affluent consumer is actually just spending right now in other categories. They tend to be spending more on services. They're traveling more. It is the summer. Um, so they're on vacation. You know, they're spending it in Europe. And uh, and, and that's not where Target has any, um, you, you know, kind of uh, leverage right now. So so that seems to be potentially a factor here. Um, does that mean that they could put, they'll, they, they should catch up later on in, in the fall or Christmas time? Um, they may be sandbagging a little bit with respect to, um, you know, kind of really decreasing those expectations that the comp store numbers being as down as much as they were is really surprising. Sucharita, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Sucharita Kodali of Forrester. Um, Courtney, just quickly, Sucharita sort of diminished the impact of the Pride Month boycotts. Um, What's your take? You had sort of a funny reaction. You pointed to Nike as an example. Yeah. But then we have the example of Bud. Yeah. You'll see that in 2016, in the second quarter of 2016, which began two weeks after Target put out a blog post stating their stance on the so-called bathroom bill, saying anyone can use any bathroom that they choose. And they made a very public stance about that. And there was loud boycotts. Sales fell after that for the next four quarters. You can see it here. We have it, we have it marked. It is obviously very hard to always quantify and correlate why one bigger pressure or how much one big pressure is impacting sales. But it doesn't seem to be a complete coincidence that that happened. Um, There were other pressures happening then economically and otherwise with their strategy. They made a lot of investments in stores after that, too. I'm not saying it was it was all of it. But for some reason, Target has gotten caught in these cultural crosshairs. And there does seem to be an impact on sales when it happens. Okay, folks, get your iPhones out because this is pretty interesting stuff. Uh, The end call button gate. Let's pretend uh, that we called the idea Apple was considering to move the hang up button. So if you have your phone out, the new iOS was, you know, the end end button. Yeah, because you can't just slam the phone anymore. (laughs) Right. In the old. I know you probably have a landline and you just slam the phone when it's over. Uh, When you want to hang up on people. Now you just I, have to do a little dainty on, on my landline. Click, yeah. click, click. Yeah. And okay, so the new one, the new iOS, 
was going to put the end button in a kind of hard to reach place. But the new situation, there was a whole kerfuffle about it, uh, is that the button is now going to be where you used to know it, lower down, so you, don't, you can use one hand mm -hmm. and you can hit the button with your thumb and all is well in the world. Thank goodness. I know you guys were you all... You don't have a landline? I had no idea this was an issue. You have a landline. Don't give me that. I in do not have a landline. In your house, you don't have a landline. No landline. Supposedly for, Welcome for to... What year is it? 2023. We have a new place that, where we go. And we, yeah. You got a landline. We got one because people that, if they rent it from us... And oh, okay. Well, not, yeah, you, you might have a reason for that then. Yeah. And yeah, I have a. I don't you have use a landline? Yeah, I don't use much. Well, what if what if you had? I no need electricity? to get my spam calls. Excuse me. If you have no electricity. If I have no electricity, even better, I can use my cell phone. You run out of batteries. Well, that's a problem, but we have uh, chargers. I mean, we have what do you call it? You know, um, extra extra batteries right. that charge. They're always fully charged in case of an emergency. Not fully charged, but we have enough stuff. Yeah. All right, all right. Oh, do you have a landline too? I do. And who calls you on that landline? No one. Okay. It's solely for oh emergency purposes. You can get the greatest uh, Medicare deals. On <laughs> I those. bet you can. They're unbelievable. <laughs> Great Medicare deals. Next on Squawk Pod, a new strain of COVID-19. This new endemic era. How immune we already are and how we're battling it as a country. Former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Right now, it looks like the vaccine should be available by mid-September to late September. This is a decision by the CDC in terms of when they want to release the vaccine. Supply is available right now. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC Live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Melissa Lee and Joe Kernan. The new strain of COVID making its way around the country and the World Health Organization has now called it a variant of interest, meaning they're monitoring it for mutations that could make it more severe. Joining us right now, CNBC contributor, former FDA commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He serves on the boards of Pfizer and Illumina. What's going on, doctor? I keep we keep hearing we actually have had a bunch of guests cancel recently because they got covid. What's happening here? Well, look, there's definitely a summer wave happening right now. Uh, it's mostly this single variant, this Eris variant, EG5. It has a new mutation in it that gives it some immune escape over the prior Omicron variants. Other countries have experienced waves of infections with this same variant, and it hasn't caused increased hospitalizations or morbidity. I mean, we have seen an uptick in hospitalizations, particularly among those 70 and over, so those who are immunocompromised or older individuals, but nothing significant. And if you look at the overall hospitalization rate right now in the U.S., it's significantly below where it was last time last year when we had a significant Omicron surge late in the summer. So while this is concerning seeing cases go up, there's certainly people who are vulnerable to this infection continue to be vulnerable. There's nothing to suggest that this particular strain that's circulating in the United States right now is more pathogenic than the prior variants. And so people who were vaccinated to prior variants who've had the infection before should have some residual immunity against this. The thing we're looking at right now is the wastewater data um, from a company called BioBot. So you can actually find it online. 
uh, because the hospitalization data isn't reliable, neither is the data on testing. It's not getting reported by a lot of states, and most people who are testing are testing at home. So we, we're looking at the wastewater data. And the parts of the country where the infections are going up the most right now are the Midwest and parts of the South. So that's where we're seeing the surges of infection. And is that a function of people just spending a lot of time indoors because of air conditioning? Partly that. I think it's partly a function of declining immunity from people who either had the infection from last winter or were vaccinated last winter. And now the immunity that they had is declining. Partly a function of the fact that this particular variant appears to have some mutations that give it immune escape over the prior variants. It's what's called this 465 mutation that we've seen in other variants as well that appears to give it some ability to escape the immunity that people acquired either from vaccination in the past or from prior infection with Omicron. But this is an Omicron subvariant. Uh, it doesn't appear to be that much different in, in terms of its pathogenicity than the prior Omicron variants. The part of the country I'd be most worried about right now is the South, where we see an uptick in, in ER visits uh, for COVID. Around 2% of ER visits in the South right now are, are for COVID. So right. that's the part of the country we're seeing the biggest uptick so, right so now. Scott, here's, here's the big question. The big question is, for those who either have comorbidities or are older or what have you, should they be taking the vaccine that's available today uh, as a booster? Um, should they be taking the vaccine? I mean, I know I'm going to go get my flu shot, I imagine, in late September, early October. I'm assuming that's going to be when the new booster comes out. Should I be getting that booster? Should I not getting, be getting that booster? There's a lot of uh, information, misinformation, lots of views on it. What, what's your take? Well, look, I'm a proponent of vaccination, and I would encourage people to get vaccinated, particularly if they have comorbidities or older individuals who will be at more risk from COVID. Right now, it looks like the vaccine should be available by mid-September to late September. This is a decision by the CDC in terms of when they want to release the vaccine. Supply is available right now. Um, it's up to the CDC and FDA to make a decision about when but they want to release Which booster are we talking about? Because there's a booster that is available today. I was actually just talking to my parents about this. So, yeah, look, the, the, the old booster, so the old uh, Omicron booster actually may be difficult to get right now. A okay. lot of pharmacies won't have it. I would encourage people, if they can, uh, to wait for the new booster to come out, because I think if you go and get the old booster right now, it's going to be hard to get revaccinated for the, for the fall in September. There probably are some people in special medical circumstances who need more frequent vaccination, need the protection afforded by vaccination, who may make a different, different decision. But I think for most Americans, if these vaccines do become available in September, that's probably time enough to to get the vaccine. And in, in the interim, you know, people who are at risk should take some steps to protect themselves because there are surging infections in certain parts of the country right now. Scott, we don't have free testing anymore. We don't have those free test kits that you get in the mail. And so I'm wondering if you think that, you know, is the surge much greater than than we know? Uh, and how do you think this plays into, you know, when we go into the colder months and, and COVID might become more more rampant, if we don't have those free tests, are we more apt to sort of to spread this? You know, this is if you look at the wastewater data, this infection right now, this new variant is very prevalent. Last week it was about 20 percent of all infections in the U.S. rising rapidly. I would suspect that when we see the data out of CDC this Friday, it's going to be about 50 percent of all infections that are happening in the country. And that's always backward looking. So it's probably more than that. So this is quite prevalent right now around the country, particularly in the Midwest, parts of the Midwest right now. In terms of the testing, yeah, it's going to be more difficult to get access to the testing this winter. There's no question about that. This variant is probably going to come and go this fall. We're probably going to see a new variant emerge by the time we get into the late fall and the winter. So this particular strain isn't that worrisome in terms of its pathogenicity relative to what we've seen before. We don't know what's going to come next, but this is going to run its course probably um, by the end of September into October. This particular variant, I think, will have moved around the country. 
But Scott, does that just mean we should all just anticipate we're getting it this fall? I mean, we should just sort of throw up our hands and say, it's going to happen. And we'll be out for what, now, what is it, five days? What's, what's, the, what's, what's the recommendation? Well, look, for a lot of people who are vac up to date on vaccinations, who've had prior infection, I think that this is a mild illness. I think it's those who have comorbidities who are really at significant risk from this infection. This is now endemic. I mean, we've talked about this for years, that eventually this would become an endemic virus and would just continue to circulate. And it's now an endemic virus that's going to continue to evolve and mutate and continue to reinfect us. I don't think we should have an expectation that we're going to get infected by it every year. Certainly, we don't get infected by flu every year. So, you know, it'd be unfortunate if this is an infection that we get every year or multiple times over the course of a year. But I think it is something that people are going to have to grapple with over the course of their life. And we're going to continue to get reinfected by it from time to time. And is Paxlovid, which is really the only, I mean, people are not doing, using any of the other types of uh, medications anymore. Is that the only, is that the only real uh, sort of firewall for, especially for older people? It's the only drug that's widely available right now. Merck has a drug as well that's on the market. It's used a little less by physicians. I'm on the board of Pfizer, as you know, which markets Paxlovid. The monoclonal antibodies aren't available anymore. The companies haven't continued to make new versions of those monoclonal antibodies to target the existing variants. Um, Pfizer, as well as other companies, have second-generation antivirals in development. So I think we'll see continued innovation in this space. But right now, Paxlovid is a highly effective drug properly used when, for patients who are properly indicated for it. Okay. Scott, uh, we appreciate uh, your perspective on all this. Thanks a lot. I feel like we're, we're all the sitting ducks. We are. Or it's something that your immune system has seen and is not going to be a big deal. I hope it isn't. Okay. You, he said again and again for people who are at risk. For people who are at risk like the first time around, those are the people we need to really worry about. But I don't think I'd go wild for just healthy young people. Oh, I'm not. I'm saying okay. what, but you don't I, like the flu. You don't like a cold. You don't like. I anything. don't like anything. You don't like. You could no, wear a I mask care, all but the I, time. I have, I have, my parents are older. I know. I, I think we have a lot of. You know, there's a lot of people in the world who, right. and you got to figure out what what are you supposed to do at, right. if there are if there's no monoclonals and these other kinds of things. What are the? I can't see. What's the approach? Th there'd have to be a pretty uh, bad variant for me to go back to booster to, to get on that train again. Boosters and. I, I don't know if I'll get, you get the flu shot? I get the flu shot over here. That is Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for tuning in. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Melissa Lee for sitting in today. You can tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't already, head over to rebranded Twitter and send us a message. In X, Zeet, we're at Squawk CNBC. Find us there. That's it. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.